thank you for inviting me. I just can't think of a better thing to do now than listening to this talk. <laughs> so thank you for coming. Um, so I belong to the Department of Primary Care. I am a nutrition scientist by background. And in the past, my background is in, is in epidemiology. However, currently I do more intervention studies and randomized trials. So I have hope to give you a broad range of things that I've used in the past or using at the moment uh, in terms of research methods um, and I love talking about food and nutrition that's my thing you'll soon realize that <laughs> and then um, I hope you enjoy I think everybody loves talking about food because we all eat so it's something that is interesting for everything or that's what I think <laughs> so yeah so thank you for inviting me um, I always like this is not related to shopping, but I always like starting everything with the global burden of disease. And you've probably seen the studies, the global burden of disease studies many times, or you'll see that many times in the future. And um, these, these are published in the Lancet. They've been, been published since the 1990s, uh, I think. Uh, it is a global consortium of researchers who gather data about mortality and disability and risk factors. And I love this figure because it shows globally the 20 risk factors for disease. Um, this is not the 2017 version, but I don't think things have changed that much. What I like about this figure is that of these 20, at least half are related to not eating properly, not having proper weight, and not doing enough physical activity. So there's not a better way to say how important eating good and doing physical activity is than this figure. That's why I love it. And of the, of the, of the risk factors that you can see here, they explain, so the metric that they use, oopsies, I've gone back too much. They use the DALIS, which are disability adjusted life years, which are the number of years that we lose due to early death or disability. So for example, for high blood pressure, we find that the burden of high blood pressure means about seven years lost. And then in the colors inside, you can see the, the diseases that are associated with. So in this case would be cardiovascular disease, but actually most of the shades are blues, which are cancer and cardiovascular diseases, which are non-communicable diseases that are really highly prevalent in modern countries. So, as I said, these top risk factors associated to a poor diet or weight or low physical activity are highly associated with cancer, CVD, diabetes and things like that. So that makes the point that diet is really important and we need to change the diet because we know our diets are not appropriate. But how do we do that? So how do we know a population is eating properly? So the way we do this is through national surveys, consumption data from the national surveys. So that's typically uh, we collect individual dietary intake in a, in a population, in a, in a, in a random sample of the population. We could look at purchasing data, which is um, individual data on third purchases. But as you can imagine, you might be thinking food purchases is for the house. So depending who lives in the house, your shopping is going to be different, right? We're going to address that later. But that's another source of looking at how people is eating. 
And the third way would be looking at sales data, but that comes from the retailers or the manufacturers, and they they report each year how much they set they they things have been sold from them. Um, and typically, what we do more is consumption data from national surveys. So in the UK, that is called the National Diet and Nutritional Survey which uh, looks at the diet and the nutrient intakes and the nutritional status of the population in the UK. They've been rolling since 2008 and they recruit people one and a half years and above. So what they do is to select a random sample of addresses and they invite one kid and one adult from each household to participate. And on each person, they collect four day diaries so they make people write down four days what they eat and drink everything and they do an interview and collect a blood sample and um, urine sample and just with this we can have a full picture of the and actually they don't even recruit that many people they might recruit I don't know depending on the years but maybe like 4,000 5,000 people so that's really very small sample considering the UK population. But just with that sample, because it's, if, if it's done properly, we can have a good picture of how the UK is doing. And they can produce results such like this ones. I haven't done research on this survey myself. I've done it in the US, similar research to this. So for example, we can know what are the main sources of, of energy in the UK adult population. And one of the, th so the top one is cereal and cereal products. They contribute 32% of the total energy intake. So from everything we eat, a third comes from cereals or cereal products. There is something to note here that the NDNS includes cakes and biscuits in this group. No, no surprise, it is a third of our calorie intake because cakes and biscuits are high in calories. So because they've been included there, they contribute a lot. And also, maybe not that surprising, in this country we eat a lot of biscuits. <laughs> uh, meat is the second source, vegetables and potatoes are the third. Also important to note that within the potatoes we have the fries, the, the chips and the fries. So, one striking thing, alcoholic beverages are the fifth source in the adult population and things as important as fruit or fish are only three or four percent, which is um, is not very good. <laughs> so this is, you know, just one example of, of what are the things that we can do with a national survey. However, people out there do other things which are not that um, appropriate. So what happens is that the national surveys are what we call a cross-sectional study. So people is recruited and interviewed and all the data is collected at the same same time. So that's called cross-sectional. So your diet is collected, if you have any diseases or your blood pressure, your weight, all is collected at the same time, the same day. So the main limitation of these surveys is that they are cross-sectional and not valid for causal inferences. However, you'll see a lot of studies out there whether the sign is cross-sectional and they study is chocolate associated with weight 
and they may conclude that chocolate is not associated with weight, therefore we can eat as much chocolate as we want. There are many studies like this and what I recommend is that you don't continue reading. <laughs> so, and the reason, so cross-sectional studies are affected, especially nutrition studies, which are cross-sectional, are affected by two main things. Residual confounding and something called reverse causality. Not sure if you've seen that concept yet. But for example, somebody, so you ask people their weight or you measure their weight and you ask them how much chocolate they ate yesterday. What happened is that somebody who's not trying to lose weight, they report having chocolate. And somebody who's trying to lose weight, they said, oh no, I didn't eat any chocolate. So you look at that association and what happens is that people who are not trying to lose weight, they have a healthy weight, they eat more chocolate. And therefore, they conclude that chocolate is not associated with weight. So there are tons of examples of these studies out there, and I caution you to not continue reading them. They're not valid for associations, especially those that we know that could be affected by reverse causality. There's also the problem of reporting, especially under-reporting, because A, people lie, especially... <laughs> We know by weight status that is pretty evident. People who uh, have a um, problem with weight tend to under-report their intake, their diet. But also recall, we tend to forget, even if I ask you all of you what you had yesterday and you have to write down everything from the first food or drink you put in your mouth till the end, I'm sure none of us will be 100% accurate because you can't really be that accurate to up to the grams of food that you ate. So therefore, it's always really, really hard to report your diet to the perfect, you know, you know, state. So there is always problems with that. And usually, we only collect very few days. Ideally, for if you're going to study the diet of somebody, you would need as many days as possible. Ideally, a whole year. So you would know you know, how your, your diet has changed over a whole year and, you know, things like that. But that's not feasible. We tend to collect one, two, three, four days maximum. That's not representative of the usual diet. Therefore, we always have limitations um, in that sense. So, this is to make the point that dietary surveys are important. They tell us how the population is doing. Does the population need more iron? more vitamin C or more vitamin D, but not to look at if chocolate is associated with weight. Um, so, I've shown you from the global burden of disease how important diet is and how we can look at the diet of the population level. And, you know, with other sources of evidence that I'll, I'll, I'll come back to that later, we can define guidance to give people the guidance so then they know how to eat, what to eat. And I've given here an example of the WHO guidelines that basically uh, promote um, energy balance. That means not eating more than what you are consuming. So then you achieve and maintain a healthy weight. The you shift fat consumption away from saturated fat to unsaturated fat and towards elimination of trans fats. That um, to increase the consumption of fruits and vegetables or anything plant-based, uh, specifically whole grains and nuts, limit intake of free sugars, and limit salt uh, consumption. So these guidelines 
uh, the current guidelines from by the WHO, but others are similar. And despite all the advances in nutrition over the last, you know, few years, nothing has changed. Despite all the headings, the headlines in the newspapers, you may have seen nothing has changed really. So, and this is basically common sense. It's nothing very magical. So, in the UK, we have something called the Eat Well Guide, in which if you look at your plate, so it, it, let's imagine this circle is your plate, and those are the proportions of different foods that you should have in your plate. Pretty much most of it, fruits and vegetables, whole grains, tiny bit of protein, dairy, tiny bit of oils, and not, not much of the, of the cakes, biscuits, chips, and all the good stuff <laughs> and drink water so that is how we communicate from the policy level how we tell people what's the right diet what's what what is what we should be eating on a daily basis great so from 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 this point onwards I'm gonna get into my research which is you know we this this is how we communicate the population how to eat and and the problem is but how, how can people make the changes? Because I think at, at, at this point we all know how we should be eating, but it's really hard, it's really difficult. And in behavioral science, what we look at is ways that the population implement those changes. That is the hard thing, that people make the changes and they sustain the changes for long enough so then we have a healthy weight and we maintain that healthy weight and, and health status. So my research is aiming at improving the quality of the shopping, hence improving the quality of what we eat um, for preventing disease. And just for a little bit of context, as we know the, the massive prevalence of obesity and diabetes and cardiovascular disease, we, our diets, whether healthy or unhealthy, start in the supermarket. And most of what we eat comes from the supermarket. About 70% of the weekly expenditure is on supermarket and the rest is eating out. So once the food is around the house, it's highly likely we eat it. So there is a real opportunity to make that food that is around the house healthier. But also the governments and also the public are demanding the food industry to make it easier. Um, and take action and be part of the solution. But there is lack of current evidence on what to do, both at the store level, so supermarkets are not sure what can they do, although I think they know, but they don't want to. But there is a lack of external evidence, not the evidence provided by the retailers themselves, but external evidence on what is effective, so then consumers, we all shop healthier, but at the individual level, once we are in the supermarket making those decisions, what can we do to have a healthier basket? So one of the studies we conducted recently as part of this uh, food shopping um, um, stream was a, run, um, a systematic review of randomized trials in grocery stores. Because I know you've been talking about Pico, <laughs> I put my Pico here. My population in this systematic review didn't have any exclusions, so it was all participants shopping in, um, in stores included. 
The interventions were single or multi-component interventions tested in RCTs, randomized controlled trials, which aimed at changing the purchases of foods or drinks, were implemented in the stores, whether online or physical, real or simulated, and they changed store environments or product features, for example, changing the price of a product. So those are the interventions that we um, that we saw in these trials included in the randomized in the systematic review. The comparados was no intervention and the outcomes were food purchases or food consumption. What we found was about 35 studies, randomized trials included, representing about 20,000 customers and 800 stores. There were all the, most of the studies were large supermarkets and there were very few in others like convenience stores or online, but eight of them were simulated or virtual. So there's a lot of research on, on that kind of thing and I'll explain later one of my studies. And all the studies were aiming to promote health or healthier choices. And some, very few, aimed at increasing profit, selling more of something. So what we did is divide those 35 studies into intervention categories, so different kinds of interventions. So basically, from everything you can find in a store that would influence our shopping behavior can be classified in four ways. Economic, which means taxes or discounts or fin financial rewards. Environment, so things like item availability or the range of products. So for example, healthier things, healthier products within the range of products. Or the placement of the products. Um, so for example, things which are located at the end of the aisle versus in the middle of the aisle. Or signs, for example, displays that they put. In, 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 in the aisles. There is also another category called swaps, which are when you offer people a healthy option to the, the one that they are uh, choosing. And the final one is educational labeling, which are aiming at improving knowledge or providing information and labeling is part of that or the traffic light system that is well known is part of that education and labeling function. So I would say these interventions go from more to less in the sense that they, they are, be, um, how we call that, from hard, hard to soft, I suppose. Um, they, there's also um, evidence that these ones would be more effective than these ones and is also uh, what we found. And the way we analyzed the data in this systematic review was using something called QCA, Qualitative Comparative Analysis. And the reason was because we couldn't do a meta-analysis because the way the outcomes were reported in each, in each study were very, very heterogeneous. So we couldn't really do a meta-analysis. And we did this QCA method which allows you to look at interventions or combinations of interventions which appear when an intervention is effective. So if you say, for example, economic interventions are effective, what are the specific components that appear together when that intervention is effective? And what we found is that economic interventions showed a clear effect um, and these effects were enhanced by promotion. So things which had a discount or a tax um, were effective 
especially if that came with a promotion. Environmental actions were mixed, so the only one that showed some effect was the item availability in some studies. So, for example, if um, if if you go to the store and then you're gonna f you're gonna buy, for example, frozen chips, and there is a variety of them, including healthier options within that range, then you're more likely to shop healthier because you've got the options, the range. The swaps interventions were promising, but there were very few of them. There were very few studies, uh, especially studies of, of good quality, to make any judgment. And the educational labeling also showed mixed results. And the interesting thing is what education was only effective in simulated environments. So what happens is that in studies where everything was simulated and people were not shopping for real, education appeared to be effective, but when it's in the real store, in the real environment, no, no, and, uh, we didn't find evidence of that effectiveness. So what happened is that from this systematic review, we basically got our attention got into this swap category because there were very few studies and we basically decided to start doing some studies on swaps, on healthier alternatives. And those are the studies I'm going to start presenting now. I'm going to start um, presenting a study that we have done in an online experimental platform. And this, so this is one of those simulated stores. They're not real. People are not shopping for real, but they look really real. <laughs> so the new version of the supermarket looks like this. If you've been shopping online in a Sainsbury's, it looks exactly like the Sainsbury's. However, it's not real. So um, we, we, it is really hard. So the reason we have built, uh, built this platform is because it, is al it allows us to test things that a real supermarket wouldn't do ever. And if they do, they won't publish it. So this at least helps us to kind of build evidence base around some kind of intervention that might be promising. And maybe in the future, a supermarket will like to implement for real. So what happens is that people will recruit people in studies and they go into this supermarket. They've got the products. They can browse. They can search. They've got their trolley here. They can remove. You know, it looks pretty, it's got all the functionality of a real online supermarket. And we conducted a study to reduce the saturated fat content of the shopping basket. We did saturated fat, but we could do any other. We could do sugar, we could do salt. I'm going to show you saturated fat. We've done another one on salt, but I'm going to show you only this one. And we wanted to test two conditions. One was food swaps with less saturated fat. So if you're shopping for cheese, then you would have, so you select your normal cheese and then a window would come with a lower saturated fat chip, um, cheese. And they will say, would you, might, would, you, would you consider swapping with this other cheese? And the other condition, it's called prominent positioning of lower saturated fats foods in the list. So what happens is that if you search for cheese or browse cheese, the lower saturated fat chip, uh, cheese appears at the top. So we've manipulated the order of the foods from less to more. So the healthiest stuff appears at the beginning of the list. So we've tested these two conditions and we've measured saturated fat content 
of the shopping basket so at the end when you finish your basket we look and we look at the percentage of saturated fat that's coming um, in in the whole basket and what we did is a factorial two by two randomized control trial where we've got the two conditions the swaps and the prominent positioning and because it's a two by two factorial design we assign people randomly to either have a swap or have the prominent positioning both or neither so we've got four groups and we randomly allocated about 300 people in each group whoops not that far we gave people a shopping list like this one which includes things which would have saturated fat so we didn't include the shop for um, oranges because we we know oranges don't have saturated fats so we only included things which have potential to have swaps and lower saturated fat for example shop for milk or butter or cheese for using a sandwich and then there are 10 items and people were, re were required to shop for all of that and we recruited um, about um, yeah about 300 people uh, 300 people per group which were about 38 years old at baseline about one-third were male about one-third had a BMI over 30 which means obesity most of them were of white background and about a third of them had um, been shopping online for groceries and what we found that compared to the control group that had 20 almost 26 percent saturated fat in their baskets people who got a swap like a lower saturated fat cheese had two percent less saturated fat at the end in the whole basket but people who had the prominent positioning so the healthy options at the top had five percent less saturated fat at the end in the shopping basket and people who had both had slightly better result. However, if we look at the if we look at the um, conditions on its own, altering the order and having the the healthiest stuff at the at the top was significantly better than anything else except the combined intervention. And what we also did, because people out there would would say, oh, but if you shop healthier, then it costs you more because eating better is cost you more money. We didn't find evidence of that in our study. Compared to control, the amount of money they spent per 100 grams was about the same. It wasn't significantly different. And we also looked at other things because other people would argue that, um, for example, there might be ethnic differences or age differences or sex. We didn't find evidence of that either and we didn't find evidence of uh, BMI education or income affecting the intervention results so we found in conclusion that the interventions to change the food purchasing are promising um, because both both um, conditions were were significantly better than the than the control but the prominent positioning was better on on its own if you combine both which is perfectly possible that would lead to a small added effect and as I said this is not real it's not real food not real money
people in an experimental condition and what we hope to do in the future is that a supermarket would do this for real we know of some supermarkets that are doing that already but they won't publish their results what we want is to collaborate with a supermarket that would implement something like this and would give give us the, the data to properly evaluate this in real people so that is one piece of evidence that we've conducted in supermarket to improve food shopping and we could potentially do this for uh, sugar as well we've done it for salt and it also works very well and now i'm going to talk about studies that i've been developing to as well to encourage healthier shopping but this is in populations at risk within primary care setting um, we have been developing these studies to provide the behavioral support in different ways. In one way, we, we have been using primary care and primary care practitioners to, to deliver the message, to encourage people to eat better, to lose weight. And we have very good evidence from our department that, for example, um, if your GP or your nurse mentions that you should be thinking about losing weight, one year later that has been really effective and people is lighter one year later. So what we have, um, have done is a similar thing, but this is to encourage healthier diet. The reason we use primary care is because it comes from a, what we call the trusted source. So if you've been told by your GP or your nurse that you should be perhaps changing your diet, you're more likely to believe it. Um, and you could also target the population at risk. And these are people who at least have a reason, people with high cholesterol or high blood pressure or diabetes, they have good reasons to change the diets. So we can reach this population through primary care very easily. However, the behavioral support that we provide through primary care is quite limited because healthcare practitioners have very limited time. They don't have very good knowledge about, you know, they're not going to sit down with you one hour asking you why you ate yesterday to tell you specifically what are the components that you need to change. They're not going to do that. Um, they have limited time and lack of nutrition training to do that. So what we thought to do is to incorporate the supermarkets to provide people feedback with uh, about the the shopping their food that they're shopping for so if you get motivation from your nurse and your supermarket is motivating you to change your diet what what could potentially do to our general health so we we planned and conducted this PC shop study that I've been PI for the last couple of years on this study. It is a three-arm parallel design randomized control trial with a three-month follow-up in which we have measured saturated fat intakes and blood lipids. We have recruited patients in primary care with high LDL cholesterol. The LDL cholesterol is the type of cholesterol that is bad for the arteries. And these people were willing to change their diets and were shopping at Tesco. The reason they were shopping at Tesco is because we've been using the data on the shopping to give people feedback on, on the things that they were shopping for. And Tesco was the only supermarket that was willing to give us that data from the loyalty cards. No other supermarket has been able to do that so far. And what we did, we randomized people 
and this was not done, um, how do we call this, um, unbalanced? We randomized 3-3-1, three, three, and that means for every person we randomized to be a control, which we, we give them the results of the blood results and nothing else. We put three people randomly into the active interventions. So one group got advice and motivation from the health professional. So this was the nurse that in 10 minutes, in a consultation in 10 minutes, tried to motivate people to change their diet. And then another group got the same nurse advice and a shopping report. And uh, this is what we did with the loyalty card data from Tesco. We created something like this that we sent to the participants every month. So what we did, we had one month of data from the shopping, from the loyalty card. We created a system and an algorithm that would come up with this number, which is the grams of saturated fat per week in your shopping basket. And it also gives you top five products in your shopping basket, which are contributing the most to saturated fat in your basket. For those five, then we gave healthier swaps or things which have less saturated fat. Some of them are not healthy regardless. <laughs> um, so for, for example, for that pizza, then you get another one that has, you know, 5.8 grams less saturated fat per 100 grams and so on. So for some of the changes, I don't know if you're familiar with the traffic light system, but the red means no, no, no. The orange means like cautious and the green is okay. So for example, somebody got a, a beef mince and the, the swap was a turkey mince that became from, from yellow to green. And, but these are the example. They went from a, from a proper butter to a flora <laughs> like butter and they still red. <laughs> so some of the products, even though you might think, oh, this tastes nothing, it's got they still have a red color for the, by the traffic light system. It means that it still have a lot of the problematic nutrient, which is in this case saturated fat. But anyway, we gave this to the people so then they can identify in their shopping what was the top five problematic products and their swaps. We followed them up for three months and we looked at their diet at the beginning, their diet at the end, as well as their shopping and their blood lipids. And we finished recruitment in February and we still, we, we are preparing this, the, the results for that study. However, you're gonna see the first people, you're gonna be the first people seeing these results. So you're very lucky today. Um, so this is the primary outcome. This is the percentage of saturated fat in the diet reported by the people. The intervention people had a slightly lower uh, saturated fat in their diet at the end of the study at follow-up however this was not significantly different from the control and um, it comes down at almost at one percent reduction our power analysis we had done we had powered the study to detect three percent reduction um, so the results are not significant um, but still like even one percent is something actually meaningful when we look at shopping, we found the same trend. We found the people reduced the saturated fat in their shopping baskets. 
However, this was not significant from the control. Sorry, because the 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 confidence interval in this case are um, standard deviation, standard errors of the means. They're overlapping, so nothing is significant. But the black dot is the control people. The the white dot is the brief support. They're just the nurse, and then these are the triangle is the people who got all the complete intervention. So it is less obvious in diet studies, but in weight loss studies, it's really evident. The control people, sometimes they lose like two or three kilograms. <laughs> By doing what? Nobody knows. But some, they, they must do something, otherwise they wouldn't lose. So, so these are the results that we got from the study. So things look promising, but the results are not significant. We also ask people about, uh, this is more qualitative research, about their thoughts uh, via questionnaires and uh, proper qualitative interviews. And about half of them thought that the swaps in the report were good, they were clear, they motivated them. Um, a few of the people, like 12%, didn't like the swaps or these were not accepted by their family, no way you're coming home with that pizza again. Or some people thought the swaps were more expensive or not available in store. And then turns out from the qualitative research, some people were really annoyed that if they had a who knows chicken pie, that these would offer a fish pie. I would never eat fish in my life. Like, how are you there? Well, it is a computer program that doesn't know that you really dislike fish. So yeah, some people got really into this thing. Um, and some of the comments from them that they found the study was useful because they now read the labels or they know the content, the saturated fat content of pasties. So then when they go out, they know it. Or people who found the regular checks, so then they were coming at the beginning at the end and we checked their blood lipids, so that was what they got them interested and, you know, motivated to change the diets. So that's, that was the PC shop study. And I'm going to present a similar one. It's a DFIL project that is currently ongoing. But this is, a, this is for people with hypertension giving lower salt swaps. And it's a feasibility, st feasibility study, which means that it's not about how effective these lower salt swaps are for, um, for hypertension. It is about how feasible it is to recruit these people and give them this advice. So this is another intervention done in primary care using the nurses to give the advice and motivate people. And they encourage them to choose lower salt options. It is a two-arm randomized control trial with a six-month follow-up. And it is a feasibility study, so there, there isn't a primary outcome. There's no power analysis. It's only 40 people. And, but we are going to look at some outcomes, such as, for example, salt in the shopping and urinary sodium and blood pressure. So we recruit people with high blood pressure in GP practices and um, we randomize them to control. In, uh, as, um, it's different from, from the previous study because the previous study only got their blood results, nothing else. These people get a leaflet. So you can expect these people doing a little, a little thing. So it's a, it's a light touch intervention. It's not, it's not an, uh, a no intervention control. 
it is really hard to do studies where people get nothing because they drop out and then they don't so you know once they learn that they didn't get the intervention that they wanted because they if they wanted to lose weight and then they randomized to receive a very light touch intervention then they drop out so it's really hard and then most often we give them something and then the intervention group got the brief advice uh, by the nurse but it's different from the previous one they get advice on their shopping using an app that looks like this it's called salt swap you can scan swap and collect so you basically you sh when you sh ideally when you are at the supermarket and you grab a product that you know it's got salt you don't have to scan everything because not everything will have salt on it but it's mostly packaged pr processed foods you scan and you get for example um, weird it's strawberries in strawberry sauce anyway very it's got salt in it fresh berry farm strawberries in strawberry sauce okay that is a weird example but anyway imagine you've got sausages and then you scan them and you get different options and depending on what supermarket you are then they'll give you the 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 foods that are available in that supermarket and then it will also tell you how many swaps you have been accepting from different supermarkets and then motivates you to do more and more.